This episode is brought to you by Broad Street Publishing. If I live, I have more time to spread the gospel, and I'm going to be bolder because I have touched death. Victoria Jackson, comedian, writer, and cancer survivor, joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. So glad you're part of this show. We have a great one lined up for you. I am Larry Gates. And I am Armin Asadi. And we are here to help you put your faith to work because there's so much left inside of you that's uh, ready to come out and we want to make that uh, make that happen as much as possible. Armin, we're going to have a little bit of laughter today. That's right. <laughs> and she's a comedic pro to say the least. Yeah, she is. Uh, we're going to be talking to Victoria Jackson. She is a comedian having appeared six seasons on Saturday Night Live. She has been in a number of films, including Weird Al Yankovic's UHF, Family Business with Dustin Hoffman and Sean Connery, Baby Boone with Diane Keaton and the pickup artist with Robert Downey Jr. She's also appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson over 20 times. That's I find that crazy. amazing. That's crazy. And, uh, and just a year ago today, finished a treatment for breast cancer. Um, and she's also working on a new reality show. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But she is the author of Lavender Hair, 21 Devotions for Women with Breast Cancer. want to welcome to the program, Victoria Jackson. Thank you, Larry. So good to have you on the show. You know, many of our listeners may know you for your six seasons on uh, Saturday Night Live back in the 80s, right? Yes, 86 to 92. Yeah, I, I imagine that was a lot of fun. Who were some of the people that you performed with that uh, stood out to you the most? Uh, well, in my cast, it was Dana Carvey, Dennis Miller, John Lovitz, Kevin Nealon, Jan Hooks, and Nora Dunn. And then when we were starting to be our Fifth year, sixth year, we got Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Farley. So uh, we we had a lot of talented people on there, and I I, I was trying real hard to keep up with them because they were pretty brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I imagine just sitting and being in the group writing the comedy sketches had to be quite quite a lot of fun. Yeah, it it was uh, mostly stressful, though, and competitive. (laughs) And we had to write our own material a lot lot of times. And um, uh, we had to compete against each other to get airtime. So it was a very high-stress job. Wait, so I don't know how Saturday Night Live works. How how do you guys come up with those sketches? Do you guys have writers, or are you you guys, the comedians, actually coming up with those sketches? (laughs) Well, like Dana came into the show with the church lady and John Lovitz came in with the liar character. He had already written that. And um, the we had 20 writers, but then they didn't really write for us. They just wrote things. And if we fit into the sketch, we were lucky, that kind of thing. But, you know, there was all kinds of overlapping, and sometimes the writers wrote me my best stuff, like being on the deserted island with Paul Simon. That was written by a Harvard genius guy. <laughs> well, how did you figure out that you wanted to get into comedy? 
Um, that's, wow, that's a good question. My dad was a gymnastics coach and he was a phys ed teacher. And so my whole childhood was competing in gymnastics, having little girls in the backyard on the trampoline, the balance beam, the bars in our yard. My dad was in Vaudeville, but he was also a Baptist deacon. So I was in church three times a week learning about the Bible and the rest of the time in the gym. And, um, my dad was funny. My mom's pretty funny. Um, but I never thought of it as a career until I was at Miami Dade Junior College one day. And uh, Lily Tomlin was doing a mic check in on the basketball court. And I said, what's going on over there? And I was covered in sweat. And I just had to do 100 sit-ups or something. And I didn't really want to be a gymnast. It was just the family business. And I looked over there, and they were putting bleachers out, and she was sitting on a stool telling jokes into a microphone, getting ready for a show that night. Uh, this must have been the late 70s. <clears throat> and I thought, that lady's going to tell jokes and get paid for it. And I thought I'd seen her on Laughing or something. We didn't have a TV, but my grandmother did, and I'd seen her on TV. And I thought, that is the greatest job in the world. <laughs> <sighs> Make people laugh and get paid for it. It's way better than sweating over here on this side of the gym and doing sit-ups for hours. And, you know, oh, I'd much rather be on that side of the gym telling jokes. And so I think that put the little seed in my mind. And I had no idea how to do it. And it kind of led me to change my English major in college to a theater major and then to start, um, I did summer stock in Birmingham where I met Johnny Crawford and he was a Hollywood actor and he gave me a one-way ticket to Hollywood to be in his nightclub act and I started doing stand-up in 1980 in Hollywood because it was a new art form then and very few women were doing it and I thought that might be a way for me to get noticed because I thought that I would be perfect for playing an airhead on a sitcom. <laughs> and that part has eluded me. That's the part I was born to play, and I just can't seem to get that part. So how does the the experience that you had on Saturday Night Live, how does that uh, carry forward for you today? Oh, wow. It was kind of like comedy college for me. It taught me, um, probably taught me how to write comedy a little bit because I didn't really have experience before that. And I, I've, I've written a stand-up comedy act since then. I do it occasionally. I did it a lot in the 90s to pay for my kids' private Christian school. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's made me famous, kind of. I mean, every day, at least one person recognizes me everywhere I go. That's kind of an interesting thing. And uh, I think it's Saturday Night Live gave me a platform uh, for good or for bad. And I've been trying to use it to spread the gospel because since I was six years old, I trusted in Jesus as my savior and learned that my real mission in life is to spread the gospel. The good news that Jesus died, was buried and resurrected for us to pay for our sins so that we could spend eternity with him. And I, when I was at Saturday Night Live, I realized that that must be my mission field. I, I gave the cast a Bible on cassette for one Christmas. And then, you know, wherever a Christian goes, that's their mission field. And uh, so 
Saturday Night Live kind of gave me a platform. And how was your faith received, the expression of your faith received within the Saturday Night Live cast and crew there? That Well, when I first started there, I wasn't proselytizing, of course. I was just showing up on time, trying my best not to get fired. And, um, I, you know, I, I think they gradually learned I was a Christian just because sometimes I, well, I wouldn't take God's name in vain. If it was in the script, I would change it, you know, uh, to like, oh, bummer, instead of a cuss word or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the situations I was put in were kind of difficult because I was like, should a Christian do this or should a Christian not do this? <clears throat> but we had freedom to to not be in something. Um, uh, how was I received? Some of the people, a few, a very few people sort of hated me because they knew I loved God. But most of them were just very kind and loving and open-minded. Um, that's how L.A. used to be. Recently, politics has really made uh, a division in Hollywood. When I went there in 1980, I remember being a Christian and talking to some people who are new age and were holding crystals. And I said, well, I, I, I don't think that's right. I think we should trust God and not crystals. And they were like, oh, really? Is that how you feel? There was no antagonism or anger. It was like, oh, you have one way and I have one way. But um, now, because of politics uh, and the extreme into immorality and entertainment, uh, there's a lot more uh, hatred for Christians there now. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit to your night at Zany's in Nashville, uh, where you're performing comedy routine. You got a call. Um, Well, actually, I didn't get a call. What happened was, I was, October 8th, 2015, I was uh, doing my stand-up act at Zany's Nashville. We followed our children to Nashville and our grandchildren when my husband retired as a cop in Miami. And I just do it about once a year to just keep my toe in show business so I don't forget how to do it. And the, the owner of Zany's, Brian, is really sweet and he lets me do it about once a year. And so 2015, I was doing... But I couldn't stop coughing. I was in the green room. And I was like, how am I, like, I'm coughing today. But this is a different cough. This one's like, I'm allergic to ragweed or something. But um, I I, uh, I thought, how am I going to go on stage? I'm coughing nonstop. I, I can't cough on the punchline. I'll ruin the jokes. And so uh, I was drinking tea and sucking on, you know, cough drops and, I got through it somehow, and the next day I went, I better go to the walk-in clinic and get something for this cough. Now, I never go to the doctor. I'm never sick, so I didn't really have a doctor. So I went to the walk-in clinic, and I told the male nurse, I said, I have a little numb spot under my left arm. It's been there about three days. Do you think that's my lymph node fighting my cough or something? And I think in the back of my mind I thought, that seems more serious, but I just kind of threw it out there casually, almost as an afterthought. And he said, you're going directly to the Vanderbilt Breast Clinic. And I was like, no, why? I don't have any lumps or anything. There's no cancer in my family. You're going directly to the Vanderbilt Breast Clinic. So I went there. They did tests. They said, you have had cancer growing 
in you your left breast for five to ten years mm. it's the most common kind mm. um it might have gone into your lymph nodes we won't know until we cut you open and then right then it was a fast journey of like you know immediate surgery uh chemotherapy radiation and it was about a, a year of treatment i went bald of course and um I, I kept a journal because I thought this is a pretty traumatic event in my life and maybe God can use it uh, for his glory. Maybe I could spread the gospel through a book about it because, you know, most people fear cancer and death more than anything else. And uh, the Bible verses I'd memorized in my childhood really came into my mind all the time to comforted me my faith was tested and i was very happy to see that my faith is strong and real jesus is real uh i mean i'm not trusting in my faith to go to heaven i'm trusting in jesus mm. but what what i learned was hey he's real I, I was laying in bed in a fetal position very weak from chemo a couple a couple times and uh i would just quote psalm 23 out loud or sing it or play worship music, and I just felt a calm peace. I thought the verse kept coming into my mind, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a win-win. I was like, you know, if I live, I have more time to spread the gospel, and I'm going to be bolder because I have touched death. And if I die, I get to see Jesus. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. But all of these trials will be over. All of this pain will be over. Life is... It's difficult. Uh, dying is easy. Living is hard. Uh, someone said that, and I like <laughs> to quote that. <laughs> That's so crazy. So going through this struggle of breast cancer, and it is exactly that because my mother went through it, um, your business in laughter and comedy and theatrics and all this stuff, did that help you in any way or allow you to help others going through the same thing that were sitting next to you in any way? You know, comedy, I mean, laughter is very important. God invented it, and it helped me so much. I, I, uh, I would wear different wigs. I couldn't find a wig or a hat that made me feel like myself when I was bald. So I would go to my doctor visits wearing a purple wig or a Raggedy Ann wig or a Pippi Longstocking wig to try to <laughs> – bring some humor into it and make them smile and people in the lobby in the waiting room would kind of smile and um i kept trying to think of cancer jokes for my act and uh yeah i got <laughs> what's, your, what's your favorite cancer joke yeah now, that's you, pretty bold yeah, now you got me thinking <laughs> well <laughs> one of them uh one joke I say is, um, you know, a lot of people wonder how did cancer affect uh, uh, my life. And I say, well, I was retired. I was already staying up late, sleeping late, and taking lots of pills and vitamins. So it didn't affect my life at all. <laughs> and uh, then I say, oh, the funniest part of cancer is how people react. Like this one lady came up to me and said, does cancer run in your family? And I said, no. And she said, that means I could get it. You know? <laughs> Stuff like that. I have this other one, but it, it's kind of edgy. I'll tell it to you. So I go, 
I go, oh, my first thought when I was told I had cancer was suicide. I am going to kill myself. I can't deal with this, but I'm afraid of guns and knives and pills. So I thought, I know, I'll go to Martin Luther King Boulevard and I'll scream, all lives matter. No, no, I'll go to Syria to a terrorist training camp wearing an I Heart Jesus t-shirt. No, no, I'll go to a mosque wearing a bikini and I'll sing, I am woman, hear me roar. (laughs) Now, you see, that's a little edgy. I don't know if you can use that. (laughs) I I, I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, I mean, what do you think of that? Hey, I'm laughing, so... (laughs) I like it. I mean, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, it's a joke. I think comedy in some way has to be edgy and has to somehow offend somebody for it to get a laugh out of somebody else. That's all right. I'm okay with it. I think think so. I do. I try to. Oh, the best way to write a joke is to make fun of yourself. Because then you're not really offending others. But you're right. It's really hard to be funny and not be a little bit edgy or offensive. It's true. I think uh, we're in a generation where everything is overtly sensitive and everyone is a lot more offendable oh, than yeah. any other generation. Yeah. So I'm entitled to having an offense. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than an opinion. So I get it. I, I can't imagine how challenging that's got to make it for comedians nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and especially a Christian comedian because yeah. you know, I wanted to make fun of the res- the restaurant called Hooters and it's like it's fair if you know, just the name Hooters is like offensive. So it's kind of hard to be a Christian comedian. Uh, yeah. Of course, there's, there's always the dumb blonde jokes. Those don't offend anyone because you're allowed to offend dumb blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, for example, for example, two blondes walk into a building. You think one of them would have seen it? Yeah. <laughs> you see, that's okay to offend us. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> that's pretty much accepted by everyone. <laughs> because it is a safe... It is a safe beat-up group, and they should band together and demand their rights and be offended, you know, just yeah. collectively, right? I'm going to start a union, the Offended Dumb Blonde Union. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Victoria, so who who makes you laugh during this time when you had cancer? And I know you were wearing pippy long-stocking wigs and all kinds of things and bringing humor to people when you met them and you were living out that kind of uh, funny bone that you have been given. But how did you keep your spirits up? I mean, who who helped you in those days when you needed a laugh? Well, my husband is very funny. He He's deadpan looking. He looks like he's, you know, he's a cop, he has a cop face. Uh, I always say he has one expression. Uh, and it looks like he's going to kill you. Uh, I'm like, Paul, oh. <laughs> oh, we won the lottery. Same face. Uh, Paul, the house is on fire. Same face. You know, and I, I attribute it to the fact that he's a Chickasaw Indian and it's genetic. He can't help it. Like he, he's a totem pole, like his mother. Uh, you know, when I first met her, I was trying to be politically correct. So I said, how? You know. <laughs> but anyway, actually, my husband is the funniest one in the family. He's very funny and he was very encouraging. He, um, like I looked in his eyes one day, like, how are we going to get through this? This is horrible. 
And his eyes, he looked right back at me and he said, one day at a time, one day at a time. And it was easy one day at a time. We prayed, we read the Bible, we laughed, we went to, we went to movies where I was, when I was wearing a purple wig. We, um, we just, God carried us through it together. And uh, who else cheered me up? My friends were so loving and gave me homemade soup and flowers and hats and Debbie gave me a leopard cheetah scarf for my head because you know women over 50 love animal prints I don't know why <laughs> and uh, uh and so um and who makes me laugh this is really weird well Jerry Seinfeld is the best stand-up mm. he's clean he's brilliant he's great um uh, I love this comedian named Maria Bamford <clears throat> and she's an atheist and she, I love her. We'll have to pray for her. She does a comedy routine, makes fun of her mother, and her mother seems to be a Christian, a believer, and she makes fun of her. She does these funny voices, and her humor is kind of dark, and she makes fun of her diagnosed depression, uh, mental illness, and stuff. But she's, she makes me laugh. I, I think she's really smart and funny, and I guess we'll have to pray for her to... To, that God will give her the gift of faith because yeah. I think faith is a gift. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hi, I'm Brian Simmons. I'm the lead translator for the Passion Translation. As a missionary and linguist, it's been my privilege to handle the Word of God in the original manuscripts, and I'm delighted to bring it to you now from the Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew text in a passionate, emotive, powerful format that will bring life to your reading of the Word of God. Download a free copy of the Book of John at thepassiontranslation.com. What did you learn about God through the experience that you went through with the diagnosis of cancer and the treatment that you had and, and just that road that you had to walk, what did you learn about God that was a gift to you? I learned that he was enough. Like when we're, when we don't have problems, we're like, Oh, I want a bigger house. I want a new dog. I want better clothes. I want, we think of all these ridiculously shallow things but when it's all stripped away and you're just laying there like am I going to die and at three in the morning in the dark God is enough and that's that's what I learned is like I didn't need I didn't need fame or money or even a good marriage like marriage is hard our, our marriage me and my husband we've been married 25 years and it's very difficult we have a lot of conflict and uh, marriage is hard, but I didn't even need a good marriage at three in the morning. I just needed the presence of God mm. and his promises and his word and knowing that it's all going to be okay. And he wins in the end. There's a place where there's no sorrow or death and no pain. And he was enough. That's what he taught me that he's all I need. He's enough. Did this process stir up any new bold ideas for you? Um, well, uh, bold, bold ideas. Well, um, I had this idea for a new TV show. Uh, 
And I've been blacklisted uh, by Hollywood for being an outspoken conservative Christian. And so I told God, you know, I understand we're, if we love you and we stand up for you, we will be persecuted. And you said, blessed are you if you're persecuted for my name's sake. Uh, all those verses like that. Um, blessed are you and men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Uh, great is your reward in heaven. Something like that, those verses. Mm-hmm. Am I saying them right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, well, I know that, but I said, but God, you could do anything. Is there any way you could let me be funny again? I'm so tired of that year of medicine and doctors and doom and gloom. I, I just, uh, you know, if I'm still alive, and obviously I'm alive today, could I do something funny again? And so that was kind of my bold idea that God could actually break through the um, mainstream media who hates him, the Hollywood uh, gatekeepers who hate him, and actually let me be on some show again. And, you know, if not, that's fine. Um, I just had a meeting yesterday uh, with a new agent who actually wants to send me out to do stand-up again. Uh, that's an open door. Um, I just got a, a job on Pure Flix and a sitcom, uh, playing the mother-in-law of David A.R. White, and we filmed four seasons, and we're waiting to see if we're going to film more. That's a, a door got opened for me. And wow. uh, uh, another show I'm doing in November in in, um, in Chicago, in uh, Illinois, uh, a pilot for a sitcom. And so God is He's answering my prayer to get to be funny again. Mm. Well, let's talk about your book. Okay. Lavender hair. That's a pretty funny title. Tell us about it. Um, well, I picked the title. I named it after a love song I wrote to my husband when I had chemo and I was bald. Uh, what happened was I was at my birthday party and when my hair started growing back in, it started growing back in gray. And I said, I was embarrassed. And I said to my friends, my hair is gray. And my friend Judy said, it's not gray. It looks lavender. <laughs> and then my husband at the corner of my eye, he said, yeah, it looks lavender. It looks lavender. And I thought uh, his face looked like he was trying so hard to make me feel pretty. And all the times during the cancer treatment when he tried to make me feel pretty and so I wrote this song for him and you want me to sing a little bit yeah for you? yeah please now do you play oh. the ukulele with this song yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> he sees me as softig not heavy he hears me as wise and not dull he thinks that I'm super terrific when others think nothing at all he sees me as funny, not silly, and graceful as Fred Astaire, and he doesn't notice the gray. He said I have lavender hair. Anyway, it kind of <laughs> But it's on my website, victoriajackson.com. All right. And I did a music video of it, actually, when I was still kind of bald. And he's in it with his big muscles. He looks like a supermodel or something that we hired. But no, that's him. He's a muscle, <laughs> totem, muscle man. Totem pole muscle guy. 
yeah, yeah, kind of the opposite of me. And um, so I named it that. And also, I was wearing the wig I liked the most was grayish purple, which is the new style for the young girls, you know. And I was trying to stay hip and you know cool, even though I was bald and old. And um, and so that's why I named. So tell us about the book. Who should read it, and why? And why should they pick it up? Well, uh, it's a chronological journey, uh, one year from zanies to zanies. Uh, After a year went by of cancer treatment, I celebrated with a show at zanies. And then this two-year anniversary, October 8th, I just did a show. All my friends came to celebrate that the Lord healed me and um, the book launched. But uh, the book has a lot of Bible verses. Uh, It's kind of a devotional It's 21 chapters, and each one is like the verses that God gave me before, during, and after each, you know, step in this cancer journey. I think it would be encouraging to women going through this or their family members or anybody who's, you know, (laughs) when you have to face death or something really icky, um, God's word just, you know, is there. And I just tell in kind of in too much detail how how God helped me. I was a little hard on my husband, my family thinks, but I was just trying to be honest about the journey because, you know, uh, marriages have a hard time through breast cancer. My oncologist said half of the marriages don't stay together after breast cancer. And of my friends, I've seen that happen. So, um you know, God's there for that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have a, a new bold idea coming up that we talked about just before the show opened. Uh, you're working on a reality show. Is that right? I have an idea for a semi-scripted reality show about me trying to be a singer at the Grand Old Opry. <laughs> ah, and uh, I've done everything on my bucket list. I've seen the castle. I've been to Europe. I've been on TV. I've been in the movies. I had a baby, two wonderful babies who are grown up and married. I've been in love. I was like, the only thing left on my bucket list is to be a singer at the Grand Old Opry. So I, I thought maybe it'd be fun to follow my journey in that late in life goal. And so I'm work. That's my most bold idea I'm working on now. <laughs> that's great. That's great. But do, you got that ready to go or are you still in the early stages of planning for that? Um, I'm in the early stages. Uh, I pitched it. I made a sizzle reel. I pitched it to some people. Um, the, my producer said that Netflix and CMT and Viacom said, we won't even watch the three minute sizzle reel because we won't touch Victoria Jackson with a 10-foot pole Mm. because of my quote-unquote politics. Mm -hmm. And so so that's the the obstacles, you know, like I was saying, the gatekeepers don't really want a Christian on the air. Mm -hmm. So then I presented it to Pure Flix, and so I'm waiting to hear back from them. Maybe they want to do it. Oh, that's great. Well, wish you all the best in that. How can our listeners get a hold of you or find out more about you? VictoriaJackson.com or my Facebook. I have a couple, about three Facebook accounts for some reason. <laughs> well, hopefully you're on one of them. 
<laughs> I, I'm on all three of them. Oh, all, all right. Time. Okay, great. Okay, well, we'll put all those links in our show notes as well, make it easier for our listeners to get a hold of that. But Victoria, I want to just thank you for being on the Bold Idea Podcast. Thank you so much. I had a great time, and uh, God bless you for what you're doing. Yeah, God bless you. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Bye. All right, I mean, that was our comedian friend, Victoria Jackson. I love her. She's so quirky and yeah, funny. Right? And I love her stories. I think that's <laughs> one of the beautiful things about comedy is the unexpected coming at you, you know, and, and she had us laughing even before we started the recording, that's which, right. is, which is a lot of, from actually from the moment I turned on the video to see her, <laughs> she just has this very expressive look and it's very, I love it. it's very fun. It you know, is. So the best part is even when we, uh, when we asked, you know, is there is there a line of questioning that you're looking for or anything like that? Typical questions you asked before in an interview. Sure. Her immediate response, no, I don't want to know. Please just surprise me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's something about life, too, is that things come up as a surprise. Certainly it did for her at Zany's. I think she went into that performance um, not expecting, obviously not expecting what she had as an outcome. Yeah. And I think when God throws you a surprise like that, it's probably good to have a little improv reaction to it. Right. Right. And uh, that's certainly, I think, how she's lived her life was just like, this is coming at me. You know, I like how she described her <laughs> husband, too. You know? <laughs> the, it reminded me of that uh, Farsight cartoon, the four faces of the Irish setter, you know, happy, sad, mad, glad. And they all look the same. same expression. <laughs> I thought about that as she was saying, it, you know, that's and, uh, you know, I think there's just this element. If you can approach life with the kind of. um spontaneity and see something humorous come out of it you know the fact that she had cancer jokes for yeah. instance right <laughs> which is hardcore yeah 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 how do you tell a, how do you tell a joke about cancer i mean when she said she had cancer jokes i'm sitting here you know there's so much that is spoken about cancer is and it's this you know as she said it's the that's the thing people fear the most and it's got this you know it's like this black hole that everything gets sucked into and you you know anytime the c word is mentioned right it's right. like uh, all the, the tune always has to go dark you right, know right. and for her to say you know what i'm going to go to a cancer treatment center i'm going to put on pippi longstockings wig yeah you know because i'm going to live out who i am and that you know and that's who i am isn't it interesting that her faith and her cancer led her to be the person who wanted to bring hope, joy, and laughter to the people who are not even dealing with cancer. She was trying to make a doctor smile, a nurse smile, the people who were trying to take care of her even. Mm -hmm. She was trying to make them smile, and but she was the one battling with a potential death scenario. That's insane to me. Like well, that, that takes a special kind of faith. As you know, we've been making daily trips to the Mayo Clinic where Joshua has been hospitalized with intestinal surgery, you know. Yes, and um, if you look at the floor, most of the nurses and things are like, you know, they're on a mission. They're like very serious. They're, yeah. And I'm just got to think, they're that has right. to be, I mean, I love the fact that they pour into patients and they do that. But it has to be emotionally physically draining yeah. to be around people all the time who are just in in need and we weren't even on a cancer ward you know so right. people that are you know that that are on the floor that we're on are not necessarily in a terminal condition you know right. and but yet they're even still it's it's fatiguing and and had to be 
a breath of fresh air yeah. <laughs> to have someone like Victoria come in and basically just entertain people by her presence yeah. and just bring a, an air of laughter in what otherwise would be a very serious, very taxing situation. Because right. dealing with that every day has got to be tough. Oh, no doubt. You know, there's one thing that she said that I, I, I completely empathize with. As a matter of fact, I, I, I said the exact same thing verbatim. She said when she was talking about contemplating suicide, um, she said, I realized it was. It's, Were you it's thinking a, about going into a mosque in a bikini? Is that what no, you're. That no. wasn't. No. I mean, <laughs> it's always an option, I guess. I don't know if They're it's going to work out well. But um, it, it, she said, it's, a, it's, it's easy to die and it's a lot harder to live. Yes. And I remember when I had my, you know, pre Jesus suicidal stint uh period of time or whatever I, I i i had that exact same epiphany and verbatim i say it the same exact way mm. every time i talk about it. it's a it's a real thing you know mm. and to come out of it and to to have joy again and to have a hope in christ again and to want nothing more to, to share that hope and to share that faith and to share that joy i mean it, it i i think it's quite often like uh, a celebratory thing, you clap for it. You give the mm -hmm. person a golf clap that you came out of it. But I think the thing that's quite often missed is that it happens often. It is not an uncommon scenario. And it's so easy to dismiss the ways that the faith in Christ can impact people. But I think it happens so often that, that God literally takes people from death to life that it doesn't impress people anymore. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's, it's like, it literally gets a golf clap at best now, but mm. it's amazing. I mean, it happens yeah. all the time, right? And there, it, it doesn't matter your age, your gender, your culture, your ethnic background, your financial status, your celebrity status. I mean, right. that, that, that suicidal tendency, the depression, the, the, the lack of meaning in life at some point can come out of anyone. And yes. it's so amazing to me how often Jesus becomes the answer. But now it happens so much that it's like, oh, great. It happened again. Yeah. Like it's no big deal. Right, right. And we need to celebrate every one of those occurrences. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Exactly. Right. I mean, it is the answer to life and death. Yeah. You know, every single day you make a decision and it's between life and death. And the answer to life is often in something that has become um, a full pod to talk about, but it is Jesus. It is Christ. It is a faith in him. It is a hope in him. And, and you have to almost feel embarrassed or ashamed to talk about it. But it's like, man, it's a real thing. It saves lives. Yeah. You know, he saves lives. Totally. And I'm glad that she's the one willing to talk about it. Go good for you. Even if she's being outcast and kicked out of a community that she's built a career in, she's still doing she's, it. Yeah. And you know, it didn't seem like it, I mean, I, obviously it bothers her that she described herself as being blacklisted by by um, Hollywood and some studios. It doesn't seem that she is um, uh, uh, being held back by that. She's just like, yeah. okay, that's not a door that's open, and so I'm going to try this one, and I'm going to try this one. And I get a sense that she she has these things that she wants to try. Her ideas are bubbling up, and yet, uh, and yet she has 
kind of open hands about it. It's like, okay, we're going to just see if this door is open. We're just going to keep at it. And I'm not going to change who I am in terms of how I believe in God. I'm not going to change my story about what God's done for me. I'm just going to see where the doors are open for it. And, and yeah, and I, I don't know why she's being black. This is if it's just because of faith or there's other reasons. I guess we don't know the full story, but either way if, it doesn't if, matter yeah in the sense that we can all sense resistance coming that and and the and the key is i think at least as i kind of hear how she's playing it out in her own life is that that you know yeah okay it but it doesn't matter because yeah i'm just going to keep doing what god's assigned me to do and you know he'll open the door right and he'll provide that in the time that needs to happen yep and she's relentless and you gotta you gotta admire that and I hope that it inspires other people who are going through challenges to say, yep, I'm going to hit obstacles, but I'm not going to stop trying. Yeah. And one of those obstacles may be, uh, you know, a health obstacle like it was for her. And boy, if that's the case for you, I hope you found some inspiration in what uh, Victoria had to say. Perhaps her book, Lavender Hair, 21 Devotions for Women with Breast Cancer, will be uh, inspiring to you, regardless of whether you're a woman or whether you have breast cancer. You might find some inspiration just from how she processed what she went through. And uh, so would invite you to pick that up. You can find all the links for everything that we talked about today at our show notes, which are on boldideapodcast.com slash four three. That will get you right to this episode. We'd love to have you visit that page and leave us a comment about this show. What did you like? Uh, what are some of the thoughts that you had as you listened to it? I'd love to hear what inspired you and maybe leave some words for insp- of inspiration for others as well. And uh, of course, you can also call our show line at 612-568-IDEA or 612-568-4332. Remember, we do have a blog now on the boldideapodcast.com, but the only way you can get that, unless you want to go visit every day, is to receive our show notes. And you can get that by signing up at boldideapodcast.com. Armin, any last words? Man, uh, I, I think my greatest takeaway in my last words is I need to learn how to laugh more and have more laughter in my life and to, I don't know, just take the most joy out of every single day that I can because it is a lot easier to think negative than it is to think positive. And I think the best positivity comes in laughter. Oh, man, for sure, Armin. So until next week, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Saying, go get some laughter. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.